Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in the presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates and for the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city walls, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governor, to the region beyond the river, and I gave them the letters, the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Hornite And Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard they were deeply troubled that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. You may be seated. So this morning I'm going to be just talking about courage. And you can see from that passage that we just read that this took a bit of courage on Nehemiah's part to stand before this monarch to be called out about being sad in his presence to make these requests that that no one would have dared ask to go back and actually rebuild city walls under another empire the, the defenses giving this city some uh, sense of independence, some autonomy. These were, these were some bold, bold requests that, that Nehemiah was, 
really walking in faith to ask these things and, and, and to give a defense for why he was sad when it was unthinkable that you would even show any facial expressions, any emotion in front of a king. And to be a cupbearer was a, a wonderful position to, to hold, but it was also one that, that you did with fear and trepidation because you are in front of this king that has absolute authority. And if he's in a bad mood the day that you happen to be serving the wine, that could be the last time you do that, the last time that you have that position, the last time that, that, uh, that you're alive. I mean, that's how these kings were. If, if you walked into the king's presence, as we know from the book of Esther, and he didn't want you in his presence, and he didn't hold out his scepter to acknowledge your presence, that he could have you executed. And Nehemiah, he's been mourning. He has been grieving and the writer of Nehemiah, he's very specific about when these dates occur. If you go to chapter 1, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. So this is the same year. But this is four months that have transpired since Nehemiah first hears about the condition of his homeland. And so for four months, he's been mourning, he's been weeping, he's been praying, he's been fasting. And I'm sure he's been in the presence of the king more often than this, but the writer picks it up here because this is significant. This is actually the time that Nehemiah has been praying for. If you go back to chapter 1 and you look at the last verse of chapter 1, Here's his prayer request. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Let your eyes be open, he prayed earlier. Those who desire to fear your name, let your servant prosper this day. I pray that you grant me mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So he's praying that God would grant him mercy. And now that the king detects this sorrow of heart, this sadness, this emotion that is not supposed to be there, Nehemiah has been asking for this very moment, this opportunity to come. And it takes courage now to walk through those doors that God's opened for him. And I want to encourage us today that a lot of times we pray and we pray and we pray. And then when the opportunity comes, that's when the challenge meets us. I have been praying and praying for a couple of my children. And I will send out little feelers now and then. And it doesn't seem like I get any feedback. But I'm just looking for God to just give a little bit of a crack, a little bit of an open door. 
been praying for neighbors of ours. And the other day, I had a short conversation with a neighbor, and he asked for a favor. Now, this is a step in the right direction. He's looking to me and, and building a friendship and building some trust. And so I've got to take those opportunities and I've got, to, I've got to go with them. And we want to build into other people's lives. We want to make an influence. We want to make some impact for eternity. It's going to take courage in our part to, one, to pray, to believe, and then to respond. And Nehemiah, he exhibits an amount of courage that you and I really can't appreciate living in the 21st century, in America, we can't understand a despot. We can't understand a Persian empire. We can't understand what it's like to, to go from one province to another and have these independent little governors because the, the Persian kingdom was a little bit different from the Babylonian kingdom in that it offered a little bit of independence to these provinces around. Now, it wouldn't allow them to build walls. It wouldn't allow them that kind of autonomy, it wouldn't allow them to appoint a king, anything like that, but they had their own little government districts, and they all felt threatened by each other. But the key thing to remember is that the Jewish people were despised. They were hated under the Persian Empire. Just a decade earlier, a decree had been given to wipe out every Jewish person in the entire Persian Empire. And praise God that he raised up a woman who was a courageous woman, Queen Esther. And Queen Esther happened to be the mother of Artaxerxes. So God is at work. And we can trust God. God is always at work behind the scenes. One of my favorite psalms is Psalms 121. And it starts out like this. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? That's a question. The pagans all looked to the hills because that's where the gods resided. But not the psalmist. He says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon the right hand. The sun will not smite me by day. The moon will not smite me by night. The Lord will preserve me from all evil. And the psalmist knew that the Lord is neither slumbering nor sleeping. God is always active in the world that you and I live in, even though we may not notice it, we may not see it. And Nehemiah had been praying for four years, four months, sorry, and God had not been slumbering, God had not been sleeping, God had not forgotten about Nehemiah's prayer. I want to challenge you this morning. It's one thing to recognize something that needs to be fixed. <laughs> My wife's smiling, because we've got a dog that chews up everything. <laughs> and it's one thing for me to recognize when he's torn the back step off. <laughs> or when he's chewed up the crown molding. No, that's that's to be on the ceiling. <laughs> he's a big dog. <laughs> the, the floorboards, the floor base, baseboards. Thank you, thank you. 
Yeah, he, hasn't, he hasn't chewed up the crown molding yet. He's, he hasn't learned how to walk up a ladder, but I wouldn't put it past him. What I'm trying to say is we can all recognize all the problems, right? It's altogether different to do something about them. I can recognize difficulties and I can recognize problems in relationships that I have with people. But it's another thing to take the courage to start to build and start to mend those things. It's easy for me, not always, I kind of confess, it's easy for others to point out errors in my character and flaws in my life. And if I'm honest with myself, I can see those things and we can acknowledge them, but it's another thing altogether to start working on it, isn't it? Or to know that you want to accomplish something in your life and you've got a goal, but how to do it? All these things take courage. Well, Nehemiah demonstrates this. First of all, when he saw the problem and he recognized it, and he said, I'm going to personally empathize with those who are in distress. Second, he actively prayed. And thirdly, he anticipated God's answer. So Nehemiah has been mourning for four months now. It shows us that he's serious about building this city. We have got to be serious if we're going to be courageous people to make change. What does it take to distract you? What does it take to discourage you? Would you continue to pray for four months? Would you continue to fast for four months? Would you continue to wait for God to open the door of opportunity? Or would you get discouraged? Nehemiah did not. Nehemiah also did not value his own life. Nor did he value his own position of comfort. If we're going to be courageous people, that's got to be the last thing on our list. Is our comfort... And our positions. God needs me in Persia, is what he could have said. I'm God's light in this foreign land. Why should I go back and live in poverty? Why should I go back and live in rubble? God, you can use me right here. I'm more effective here in Persia. That's what he could have said. But he didn't. The courage of sacrifice. I don't know who said this, but I quote it for you. Nothing of significance is ever accomplished without sacrifice. Now, I don't remember who wrote that, who said that, but I jotted it down and I quoted it. And I don't know if that's actually, it's not Bible. (laughs) But you think about it. You think about the life of Christ. You think about the life of the apostles. You think about those people in the Old Testament that accomplished great things for God, and I would struggle to find one of them who did not accomplish great things for God without sacrifice to their personal comfort. Moses walked away from being the son of Pharaoh. Joseph, the favored son of Jacob. Go on and on throughout them. You name them. Daniel, carried off to captivity, 
willing to sacrifice his own privileges. The courage to recognize when opportunity presents itself. And opportunities present themselves to people who pray. I believe that with all my heart. That opportunities present themselves to people who are actively praying. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this. Pray that God would open a door of utterance that I might speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds. That I might have my speech seasoned with salt so that I will know how to answer every man, is what Paul wrote. And Paul was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And when he was writing back to the Philippians, he wants to tell them, the things that have happened to me have actually happened to the furtherance of the gospel. And now the entire palace guard knows that my chains are in Christ. So if you want to see opportunities happen in your life, begin with prayer. That's where Nehemiah began. Second, it's no small matter, and I already talked about this a little bit, to be sad in the presence of an Eastern monarch. It was unacceptable to show your emotions. You could be removed or even executed. And Esther chapter 4 and verse 2 shows us this. And then the courage to walk through this door. The courage that it must have taken him. You have never been sad in my presence before. And the king said, why is your face so sad? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And then the verse tells us, tells us that I became dreadfully afraid. Fear with fear is what the Hebrew says. I'm afraid with fear. And then it's got the adjective great fear. So this is, this is nothing to, for us to, 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 just to sort of gloss over. This is an important thing that, that the writer of Nehemiah wanted us to know. And so how does he answer Well, first of all, he answers with tact, doesn't he? And I said to the king, may the king live forever. And then he goes and puts it all on the table. This took courage. Nehemiah wisely relates his feelings to the common ground that an eastern king could understand. You see, the gates of a city were important to any eastern empire. And the graves of your forefathers, they were important to any Eastern monarch. And so Nehemiah isn't just being, you know, just blurting out stuff that, that, that's obvious that, that, that the, the king would have known. But what he is doing here is he's being bold, but he's also being tactful. He's relating things that this emperor could identify with. He relates and he finds common ground. So, what are some applications just from these first three verses? When wine was before the king, Nehemiah was called. This was his position. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. That God has providentially put you exactly where he wants you. Nehemiah, by no accident, happened to be the king's cupbearer. Esther happened to be the king's grandmother. Mordecai happened to save his father's life. A decree had been reversed where every Jew could defend himself. God has providentially put you exactly where he wants you. Whatever job, whatever vocation God has put you, or whatever house you live in. Tracy and I prayed 
for months until we found the house. And I believe God has got us right where he wants us, right there on Madison Avenue. I don't know what it is yet. I'm still trying to figure all that out. Maybe it's the neighbor. Maybe it's the bishop down the street. I don't know what it is, but, but God has got you right where he wants you. God had Nehemiah at the perfect place at the perfect time. I, I just caught Corey, and I just think about her, and she had a smile on her face because she's been praying, and she's been praying. And God has positioned her at a school where she is going to make an impact, I believe, for the eternity in people's lives. And God does that for every one of us. Caleb Wynn, I think about him, putting on concerts for the city of Ogden. What a position that God has given him. God has got you there for a reason for this time of life. And every one of you, all of us, Nehemiah was right where God Second application, God expects us to serve him by putting him first. Whatever circumstances we might have and whatever comforts we might have, Nehemiah put God first. Not his position as the cupbearer, not his comfort in a palace. He said, God, I will seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness. Third application, Don't get discouraged if there's not a quick fix. (laughs) Well, we live in a society where we expect everything instant tea. I mean, everything's instant, isn't it? I mean, our computers, we don't even have to go to a library. Our kids don't know what a Dewey Decimal System is. They said, what are you talking about, Pastor? You you caveman? (laughs) They wouldn't have a clue of how to pull out an index card and go and look for that number. and No, they, they just, they, I don't know what they do. <laughs> they Google it, I guess. <laughs> but we live where we expect immediate. And we, Nehemiah prays for four months. So we don't, we shouldn't be discouraged. Sword, a million, million years, right? <laughs> or a thousand years. That's like one day, but one day, the Lord is outside of time. Be willing to give up your comforts or what else it may take to see your calling through. Courage now to enact the plan. So now here comes the real courageous thing. The king says, what do you request? Wow. What do you request? Look what Nehemiah does. I love this. What do you request? So Nehemiah prayed to God and said. It's all in the same sentence. You can pray these sentence prayers. I do this all the time. I'm standing in line for something. I pray. A quick prayer. I I was talking to a receptionist this week. And she asked me a question about the church. Before I answered, I'm, I'm praying. We, this is a beautiful, wonderful tool that God has given you and I, that God is omnipresent and that God is omniscient. And that you, you might, Nehemiah didn't say, hold on a second, I've got to go to my prayer rug. Hold on a second, I've got to go down to the priest. Hold on, I've got to go to, I've got to run all the way to Jerusalem and I've got to make a sacrifice at the temple. No. You and I have direct access, immediate access to God. When we need divine intervention, God is there. 
And that will embolden you and I. That will give us courage. So I prayed and I said, isn't that beautiful? A man devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I want to just tell you a a personal story, and it's a a long one, so I'll try to shorten it up. Bear with me. But I, I moved from Lynchburg, Virginia to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when I lived in Lynchburg, I'd been there for three years, and I had well-established relationships. People knew me. They knew my talents. They knew my gifts. They, they, they helped me because there was, I had a network of friends. I got packed up and moved 300 miles to the west. Chattanooga didn't know a soul. I was trying to accomplish something for God. I felt God had put something on my heart that I wanted to see God do through my life. And I left a place that was perfectly designed to do that. I was trying to make the Olympic trials in a track event. I was the track coach at this university. Had all my expenses paid to every major track meet on the East Coast. They paid my tuition. They even gave me a stipend. I had my house paid for. Had everything. Had the tuition of the school paid for. Picked up and moved to Chattanooga. Didn't know a soul. And God put it on my heart to walk into the office at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. I don't know why. And I walked in there. I was so afraid. I said, I'm, I'm going to go meet this guy. I don't even know who he is. I don't even know if he wants to talk to me. He doesn't have, doesn't have a clue who I am. So I knocked on his office. We sat down. He says, where are you from? I said, I just moved here from Lynchburg. He says, oh, one of my best friends lives in Lynchburg. I said, well, who's that? Like, I'm going to know. You know, Lynchburg's got 250,000 people. He says, Jake Mathis. He says, Jake Mathis? I says, I have worked under Jake Mathis for the past three years. He is my coach. He says, you're kidding me. That was my coach at Bryan College, a Christian college in northern Tennessee. And now I'm the coach at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. He says, how can I help you, Patrick? And I mean, he laid everything out. I had no idea that God was going to do that. But I just walked in and I said, here's my request. Nehemiah is doing this. God wants to do this for all of us. This is our God. We can be courageous, and we can expect God. When we're praying, God's going to do things, and we might be devising our way, but the Lord directs our steps. What is your request? What are you looking for, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah lays it all out. He says, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask you to send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Notice that Nehemiah is not saying somebody else needs to do this. Will you get a task force? If we're going to pray, and if we're going to be courageous, we need to be willing to step in and do it ourselves. Jesus prayed this in Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. He looked at the disciples, and he says, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors into his harvest. You know how chapter 10 starts out? He sends the twelve out two by two. They were the very answer to their own prayers. Nehemiah is willing to be the answer to his own prayers. So if you're praying for somebody who's lost, it may be that God has also put you in the position where you can talk to that person. 
I prayed and I said, humility. Ultimately, Nehemiah knew that his dependence and his favor was going to come from God. Thirdly, courage to believe that God is not limited. If God is opening these doors, what else can God do? Our, our God, if we, could just, if we could just get a glimpse of God's holiness, if we could just get a glimpse of God's power, you see one lightning bolt coming down. I can't remember where I read this. But in a lightning bolt, one lightning bolt alone, there's enough energy to power the city of New York for a month. Now, if I'm wrong, you can correct me, but I remember studying this out for another sermon. It was a long time ago, so I might be totally wrong. But, but there, the, the, the amount of power in one lightning bolt is so immense. Look at the wind energy around you and I. The island of Ireland can be electric free if it just would harness the waves on its coastline. Where does that immense power come from? There's a, there's a law in science that says that whatever is created is not, is, is, does not have more power than whatever created it. And so whatever created this universe, that is our God. He is so limitless. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If our God was hungry, he would not tell us, the psalmist says. And Nehemiah believes that. He says, I don't want you just to send me. I want you to give me letters so when I go from promise to promise to promise that I've got no hassle. And not only that, I want you to give me a letter so that I can go into the king's forest and I can cut down as much timber as I want. And what he's asking for is a blank check. God, you write out the amount. God knows what North Valley Bible Church needs. He knows what you need. And we can ask our God, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, be glory in the church forever. Amen. We have not because we ask not. And we ask and we receive not sometimes because we just want to consume it in our own lust. And sometimes we pray and we don't even believe it. And James says that we are like a double-minded man, blown with the wind, just like a wave tossed. But not Nehemiah, and neither should you and I be. Our God is not limited. I don't have time to turn to Romans 8, 28 through 31, but we know that verse. Now, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also Justified and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, who can say anything to these things? So, if God be for us, who could be against us? I want that just to settle in your heart and your mind. If God is for you, if God is working this out, who in the world could be against you? And Nehemiah believed that. He didn't have Romans 8:28, but I believe Romans 8:28 was written about Nehemiah. And this is why. It starts out saying, all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. What does foreknow mean? 
Paul uses that word three times. He uses it in Acts chapter 26 and verse 6, where Paul says, if those who foreknew me, those who previously knew me, they testified that I used to persecute the church. Then he uses it in Romans chapter 11. God has not cast off his people, Israel, whom he foreknew, the ones that he previously had a relationship. So how do I know that God works all things together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his service? <laughs> because those whom he foreknew, he called. He's not talking about people in the future. He's talking about people that he foreknew, that he already had a relationship with. People like me. I know God's going to do it for me because look what he did for Nehemiah. I know God will do it for you because look what he did for Moses. I know God will do it for you because look what he did for Abraham. Abraham who didn't believe. Yet God says, against all hope, Abraham, you're going to see a child. And Sarah, who was 90 years old, who was barren, she received strength and conceived. So we know that God's going to work all things together for good. All these Old Testament saints are telling us that. And what is God wanting to do? Those whom he foreknew, he predestined us to become into the image of Jesus. That's God's ultimate design for your life, is to look like Jesus. And look at Nehemiah. If Nehemiah didn't look like Jesus in a palace, walks away to identify with God's people, to live in poverty, to give himself for others, and to put his life on the line. God was working all this together to make Nehemiah the servant that God wanted him to be. Last point, we need courage because whenever God is working, the enemy is not far behind. And we see it right here, verses 9 and 10. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of army and horsemen with me. Now why in the world did he send all that with him? Because he knew that Nehemiah was going to walk and to travel through some very, very dangerous lands. It was going to be hard. It was not going to be easy. Now, I want to point out something here. It's just sort of a side note, but my, my mind is, is just is weird, and I, I, I get weird thoughts. And I, well, not weird, but I, I, well, I do that too, yeah. But, but I, I started thinking. I said, wait a minute, God. I know the book of Ezra. Ezra wouldn't ask for an escort to go through all those lands because he wanted to prove that God was able to get him there without any help from anybody else. And now, Nehemiah, what's the difference? And, and, and God gave me this, this insight, and I know it came from God. God never wants you and I to be presumptuous. But God wants us to be prudent. It was the prudent thing for Nehemiah to accept that ask, escort. It was the prudent thing for Ezra not to go and ask for it. Nehemiah didn't, doesn't ask for it. It would have been audacious. It would have been 
I guess, presumptuous to say, don't give me that escort. I'll, I'll get there fine. I, I don't need it. And you see, both of them, both of them exercised prudence. What did Ezra do? Ezra says, we don't have an escort. I don't know the king personally. I can't go walking and ask for it. And, I've, and furthermore, I've told the king, God's hand is good upon all those who seek his face. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to sit down by the river, Ahava. This is found in Ezra chapter 8. And he says, before we do anything, we are going to pray and we are going to fast for three days. Because I'm not going to be presumptuous, nor am I just going to walk through that land thinking, you know what, it's going to be smooth sailing because King Artaxerxes has given me all the treasure and people are going to be looking for it. So this is just sort of a side note, but how do we, how do we, how do we navigate through these things in life? And I think this is, just gives us some good wisdom right here. That we need to be humble enough to accept help when it's given to us. And we need to be humble enough to know when it's not been offered that we have got to seek God. So it was going to be difficult. It was going to be hard. Spiritual adversaries. Now how do we know that these are spiritual adversaries? The text tells us why. These, these weren't adversaries because they felt threatened by these Jewish people. No, it was a spiritual attack, total spiritual attack. And it tells us in verse 10 why. They were deeply disturbed. I think this is a play on words in the original language. The word for disturbed here is the Hebrew word rach. It can be translated disturbed or it can be translated evil or bad, and it was used in Nehemiah chapter three, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, the people in the city are in great distress. And now, these people are greatly distressed. Because somebody has come to do something about it. And you see, that's when the enemy rears its ugly head. When you and I get involved for the right thing and for godly purposes, the enemy had nothing to lose by allowing them to do that. And listen, the enemy has nothing to lose by allowing you as a godly parent to teach morals to your children, but they want to take it away from you. The enemy has nothing to lose by you standing up for your freedom of speech, but they want to take it away from you. These are spiritual attacks. Why? Because you are seeking the welfare, the godly welfare of your own family and your own children. That's why they were disturbed. There was no personal attacks on them, their prosperity, their ability to, to function in, that, in, in Palestine, nothing. They weren't going to inhibit it at all. There was no personal injury. They were merely upset because somebody was coming to do the right thing. They hated the notion that God's people were actually going to prosper. So it's going to take courage for you and I, isn't it? And I don't have time to, to run through this, but you can do this at home this afternoon. I'm going to just quickly read this, and then we'll close. 
This was in your bulletin, if you got a bulletin this morning. What areas in your life do you need courage? Second question, what will you be willing to sacrifice for those goals to be realized? Number three, are you praying for God to open doors in your life? What would that look like? What situations are you praying for? Who are you praying for? How can I be a part of the answer? Number four, are you playing an active role of building into others' lives at North Valley Bible Church? How can that happen in an official position? A greeter, working in children's church, working with our youth, our teenagers. Or how can you do it unofficially? Take the initiative to engage in somebody. Get somebody's phone number. Invite them to your home. Get out of your comfort zone. The last question, what steps did Nehemiah take? How did it take courage for him as the cupbearer to step out into faith? How can I follow his example? How can I follow his example? What do I know about the Lord that will instill, instill courage in me? So I hope that this is practical today. I hope it will help you. I hope it will help you to be a builder into other people's lives and to be courageous about it. Let's close in prayer. Father, God, at North Valley Bible Church, we've got a great commission, and that is to make disciples. Make disciples of, of, of Harrisville. And not just Harrisville, God. You want us to make disciples in Weaver County, in Utah. And God, if we are going to be a Bible church, that's what we call ourselves. God, we need to have a vision for the ends of the earth. For a people, a small group of people that are here this morning, it's going to take courage for us to do that. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take brokenness, God. We're going to have to feel the sense of people whose lives are broken down, whose walls have been burned, spiritually speaking. And we're going to have to get involved, Lord. God, we're going to have to break out of our comfort zones. We're going to have to take sacrifice of our time our talents, and we're going to have to invest, God, if we're going to see any of these things happen. And so, God, I pray that we will take courage this morning as a church, that we will take vision of what you've called us to be here in Harrisville, Utah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.